And this gets a little bit to the Thomas Gilman conflict mode where you choose to be accommodative because the danger in harming the relationship is much worse than the actual argument that you're having. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast, everybody. I'm Kim Skorupski, the Associate Dean for Faculty Development at Johns Hopkins University. And on today's episode, we have my colleague, Dr. Dave Usum. David Usum is our Associate Dean for Professional Development. Hi, Dave. Hey, Kim. How are you doing? Good. I'm so grateful. And we've had such great feedback from your snippets. You've done so much great work for us and so much good content here. And Difficult conversations. This is a tough one. And where do they come from? How do they work? Lead us through that. Sure. Well, Difficult Conversations is the title of a book by Douglas Stone and his colleagues as part of the Harvard Negotiation Project. And it's been purchased and read by millions of people. And it's sort of one of the many different paradigms for dealing with a difficult conversation and and conflict. And I really, I really like it a lot. I think that it has a lot of good value to it. And like anything, you know, when you read these type of books, if you come out with, you know, just a few important points that you can utilize in your daily life or in those times when you're in conflict, uh, I think that it's, it's a worthwhile read. It's a, it's a paperback book. It's not all that, uh, that large. What it does have is a lot of great examples of conversations between people and sort of analyzing them, dissecting them for the good parts and the bad parts. The concept with difficult conversations in this Harvard negotiation project is that whenever you're in a difficult conversation about a conflict that you're having with somebody, there's really three levels of conversation. There's kind of the fact level, uh, which is what they call the, the what happened Mm -hmm. um, level, which is just getting the facts right so that you're on a level playing field as far as what exactly happened between you and this person that you're in conflict with. And I'll talk about that a little bit um, more in just a moment. The second level is the emotions, and that is, you know, we all have little triggers of things that we get, you know, sort of hot under the collar about. And then once we get emotional, sometimes, um, you know, our logic will sometimes fly away or we may say things that are right. we don't really feel deeply or, or, yeah. or mistakenly say. Activate and the lizard the third brain. Level, <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. The hippocampal you know, ambush where you, you, you're just you know, spouting out stuff that you may or may not mean and you certainly may regret saying. Right. Um, but at the same time, we have to recognize that when you're in conflict or when you're having a difficult conversation, you're going to have an emotional response to what people say. And the third part, which I found the most fascinating part, is there is the, the identity level. And this gets to that part of it that we get so defensive about because mm-hmm. in this difficult conversation or this conflict that you're having with someone, it may get to the point where you start doubting yourself. And when you start doubting yourself, you know, I don't, I don't remember all of my, actually, you, you have more psychology background than I do. You know, you get very protective of the, is it yeah. the id? Yeah. Um, 
and and you you go into a highly defensive mode, and so when that conversation starts dipping into a, a point where you start feeling like someone's suggesting that you're not a good person, or you're not or you're smart, not, or you failed at something, uh, or yeah, yeah, exactly, or or you know you're not competent. Mm-hmm. Well. It elicits even a stronger reaction, and and often, you know, you you stop listening, you just get really, really defensive. And so, in the description of these different levels, um, the Harvard Negotiation uh, Project group uh, talks about how to make it more effective at each of these levels in dealing with the facts, in dealing with the emotions, and in dealing with the identity issues. And I really, I really think it's a good read. Yeah. Uh, so tell, uh, go through this because I'm always um, in, intrigued by the, that first element of what happened and talking about facts. And I'm putting my little fingers up going air quotes around facts because there's your facts and there's my facts and then there's the facts in between. So walk us through this. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that this concept and the book is even more relevant in our day and age where we talk about alternative facts, or we talk about what is the actual reality, um, unfortunately, and, and this is a, an issue that the media is, is debating, etc. So, I mean, I think there's a difference between maybe two points of view or two observations of what happened versus that part that is actually what happened. What the difficult conversation theory is, is that you have to get to a point where the two people are describing what happened from a third person. You know, we can agree about that this happened, this happened, this happened. Now, you may interpret it differently than I, but can we, as a third-person narrator, describe what exactly transpired in this problem that you and I are having in this, in this conflict? Mm-hmm. And part of that conflict, and, and one of the, again, you know, I have these certain takeaways from the book. One of the takeaways from the, the book that I thought was really important was the difference between intent and impact. Right. So we sometimes say, oh, you know, Kim hung up the phone on me, and I will in, impute an, 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 her, an yeah. intent on behalf that, oh, she was angry at me for what I last said, and that was her, in, you know, and that's why she did it. I only saw that you hung up the phone on me. But I started thinking about, you know, what was your intent? And I, that becomes sort of my fact, but yeah. it's not real, right? right. It's, it's my interpretation of it. And I would and then, say uh, that was not my intention at all. I did not intend to insult you. I did not intend to hurt your feelings. And then it's a recognition of the other, but that was the impact. So your intentions uh, have to be taken in light of the impact on the other person, and that's that's what you right. and I well, learned in that in our mediation training. That a part of that exploration of what happened is describe your experience. What did you experience? How did you experience that situation, that event? How did you experience it? And you and I learned that you asking about the experience is important because no one can ever negate or refute your experience. They can negate and refute facts. That's not how it happened at all. And that's not the way I recall it. No, he wasn't wearing a hat. He was wearing a visor. So that, you know, nobody can ever say, you're absolutely wrong. You did not experience it that way. Dave, you're incorrect. You were 
falsely experiencing that. So I think that's another way of you know exploring what happened is that the experiences gets you to this idea of a third neutral party of, all right, let's separate um, this, my reality from a neutral reality. Exactly. Then that neutral reality is what they refer to as the third person version of it. So if, if I can go back to my analogy, you know, I'm talking with you and we're, we're sort of in a, in a area of a disagreement and suddenly, you know, the phone goes dead. And so I am say, oh, you know, she hung up on me because of what I said. And the impact of that is I get angry with you and say, you know, you're, you know, that Kim, she's, she's stubborn. What I don't know is that, you know, the, there was a technical disconnection or you get another phone call about, you know, an emergency in the family and you don't get back to me. So exploring that, as, as you said, with the other person, sometimes you realize that what you, you know, what you thought happened it's not at all. Yeah. It's not at all, right. We, so we, that, create, that, we create these stories about things that are false stories sometimes. Exactly, exactly. So the intent versus impact was probably the, my biggest take-home message with regard to the um, what happened part. And, and instead, exploring with a person and, and get to a third-person narration of, oh, so this is what actually happened that, that we can agree on. And the second part, obviously, is the is the emotions, and and sometimes, you know, we we have an emotional response to something that is actually not related to the event that led to that emotion. So, for example, if I have a you know a past history of having issues with my mother, that she would always hang up on me whenever I would you know bring up a certain topic, and then you know when when the, the phone shuts down with, with Kim, I get a re- emotional mm-hmm. reaction to it from my past experience and what I've Projecting. had happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not valid. And um, I think one of the lessons of, of the Difficult Conversations book is, is using that I language, you know, which is, you know, Kim, when uh, that phone went dead, I felt like you were mm-hmm. not being respectful of me and shutting me off and in midstream and and not being cooperative. And using those I words is a lot better than saying, "Kim, you were uncooperative. Right. You were mean to me." Or rather than, "This is what my experience was." Even in the emotional, we we, we talked about it with the facts, but it's right. also on the emotional. Yeah, yeah, that that whole, you, as soon as we start thinking you, or especially you always, or you never, you're, of yeah. course, putting someone on defense. Absolutely. Right, so, and, and this gets back to some one of the, the talents or skills that we all must, must learn, and that is that reflective listening and, and making sure we understand what the person's experience was and, and repeating it back and getting affirmation that we are receiving the, the correct information, even as it relates to emotions that the person's feeling. So that's the, that was, that's the second level that they describe, and they talk about some uh, ways of improving that. And then the third level is the identity. And, and as you and I described, they define um, the identity issues as uh, three different ways. One is, am I worthy? 
am I a good person and am I am I worth loving and am I competent? And I think that um, although those may not be all encompassing, they do hit the spot for a lot of us. I mean, yeah. when, for example, when the implication is that you are doing something, you're lying or you're doing something unethical, boy, that will elicit a strong reaction at the identity level of, you know, self-preservation and, and being very defensive. And, you know, this person is, a, is accusing me of being a bad person in the eyes of the world and morality. Oh, boy, I'm going to fight that, you know, right. pretty hard. And recognizing when you're, when you're straying in that way, in, in sort of an accusatory way, is... is um, Problematic. I, I, and one of the lessons I think that Difficult Conversations talks about is keeping it to the episode rather than generalizing about the person. So, um, you, you know, Kim, when you told me about this particular uh, event, perhaps you, um, you were misguided as far as the facts around the event is a, is a lot better than saying, you know, you're a liar. Yeah. You know, again, we get back to the emotions things, but to say to say to someone you're a liar, it just gets those hackles up and yeah. the person's going to be very sensitive because it's a, it's an identity issue. And, right. You're, and you're, similarly, they talk... Yeah, I was just going to say, right? you're, you're, you're um, characterizing someone and putting a label on them versus um, criticizing a behavior. So you're you're a bad kid versus that thing you did was bad. You know that's the idea of good parents. Ideally, they're not giving the message to their kids overtly or covertly that they're bad kids, but they do bad things sometimes. So that's the same thing when you say you're lazy, you're stupid, you're you're worthless, you're sloppy. That's putting that label. That's you're not a good person versus sometimes when this happens, you tend to be or you can be or you your behavior looks like that's um, not impugning the integrity of the character of the person. Right. It's, it's in this situation, yeah. this is what, what I experienced you, you, know, you, know, you doing or, or whatnot, but I'm not making a general blanket statement about you in toto. Right. And in particular, those things, you know, you could say to me, Dave, that you weren't funny, that was an inappropriate joke. That, to me, does not strike at my core as much as if you say, you know, Dave, you know, you're you're not reading those MRI scans uh, up to snuff. I'm not sure that you're competent. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. that's a, you know clearly that's something that uh, gets a lot more of a reaction. And that's why they say of those identity things, it's you know, are you worthy of being loved? So this is sort of the the re- relational way. Um, are you a good person? That that's where you know you're a liar or you're doing it on something unethical. And are you competent? And and the other piece that w- that we all go through in academia and elsewhere is this this concept of the imposter syndrome. So mm-hmm. this this business about competency is another thing that we're all very sensitive to because, um, with few exceptions, most of us are not as self confident as we may, you know, put ourselves out there. You know, right. Right. All, all of us are a little bit scared about being challenged. And someone recognizing that we're not as good as either they may say think we are or that we may 
try to present that we are. Right. We are, and that's where this, uh, you know, this this am I competent um, part of the identity conversation gets just so much um, emotional reaction as well as defensiveness. Yeah. So both on the receiving end and on the the giving end, as leaders, we have to be really aware of not only our own triggers and the things that we've talked before in past snippets of our our values and our mission and our 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 conflict styles and knowing you know where where we're going to tend to go awry when we are under stress and not eating well not sleeping well having a lot of things going on and also then how we are um not only taking that from other people, our superiors or colleagues, but then how we're dishing it out to, to our colleagues and our staff and our trainees in the lab and being aware of that, um, the effect and the impact, regardless of, of our own intention. So this el- this difficult conversations and, and the book has a lot to do with not only how we engage with it, but the, the difficulties we cause um, among others by the, by the way we... Um, maybe treat them. Yeah. Another concept I want to get to, Kim, because I've found it to be very effective when I've tried to talk through a conflict with, uh, with people is, um, this thing that they talk about, which is not to assign blame, but to try to assign a contribution. And it's, although it's semantics, there's such a positive, um, connotation Mm -hmm. to contribution and contributing, yeah. that it's, it's a lot easier to get uh, people to recognize their piece in a conflict if you ask what, you know, what their contribution was. So, for example, I was just doing this last night with one of my colleagues um, who was in a, a fight with uh, another, uh, another colleague, and, and I kept saying, you know, um, what, was there anything that you did that you can see might have contributed to mm-hmm. um, misunderstanding what was what was what was your piece that you contributed and you know it's it's a lot better terminology than to than to say uh i blame you or you did you know you did it you're you're wrong i'm right yeah right because because you know people will always be and and this this person i was dealing with kept saying well but she did this and she did this and she did this and she did this and i said that that may be so, but but what was your piece that you contributed to it that led you know either heightened the the misunderstanding? Mm-hmm. And um, although I, I wasn't entirely successful last night with uh, with getting through it, um, it was a better conversation than just focusing on the other person because too often that's that's the problem is that we we keep you know, blaming the other person, you did this and you did that, and not recognizing what our little piece might have been that triggered that reaction to the other person. And when you can admit your piece, your contribution, it's more likely that the other person is going to meet you Mm -hmm. and say, yeah, and maybe the way I handled this might have contributed to your uh, unhappiness as well. So... It's taking a little bit of ownership and, and not making it into the into the blame game. Yeah. Um, I, what I, what I love about that every time you talk about in, that in our leadership courses, I think it's such a valuable nugget because 
like you said, it's so easy. And, and, and maybe it may be absolutely correct that the other person, for example, the senior faculty member or the mentor may be completely wrong. I mean, that, that could be true. And it may also be true that the mentee or the junior faculty member's uh, difficulty with um, standing up for her or himself or uh, being a turtle and avoiding conflict and putting that off or um, not following up with something, something minor, relatively minor, uh, is the contribution. So I I like that that it can just be a very subtle thing where we could agree with the person. You're exactly right. That behavior is on you know unconscionable we will not tolerate that they're completely wrong in that in that situation and not but but and let's think about this going forward what might you have done differently well i may have nipped it in the bud sooner i may have had the courage to say this or that in the future i might prefer to or set established standards in front and set clear boundaries so that practice of asking people what I love about how you do this really is a growth opportunity and it's especially important for leaders to understand that waltz that is just between two and more people, that there's rarely a circumstance where, you know, we don't contribute in some regard to whatever happened. Right, right. And, and in fact, uh, Kim, in, in your, your statements, you also got to another of the lessons that I got from difficult conversation, that is those but those but, you know, yes. uh, discussions where you, you, yes, but. And um, I know, you know, we, we have our colleague, uh, Catherine, who is so good at being able to convert but sentences to and sentences yes. because in using the word but, you immediately get people to be defensive and sort of doubt you, et cetera. So right. that, that's, that's, uh, that's Catherine Morrison you're talking about. We love her negotiation. Uh, yeah, talking about every time you say but, it's like, oh, here comes a hit. Dave, you're really great on those snippets, but, and it's like, okay, here we go. Yes, you're really good, and, so that's, it's a real opener yeah. to replace all your buts with ands. Right, right. And, and the, final, the final lesson, I think, from difficult conversations is something that um, I facetiously say, it's better to be married than right. And <laughs> what I mean by that, yeah, what I mean by that, sometimes, you know, it's, it's better to preserve the relationship than to continue to fight on on a topic that may or may not be that important. So, and this gets a little bit to the Thomas Kilman conflict mode where you choose to be accommodative because the danger in harming the relationship is much worse mm-hmm. than the actual argument that you're having, you right. know, about. Right. And, and I think that Sometimes you have to make that calculation, and, and again, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a crazy little expression, better to be married than right, but, you know, if you're constantly having... Uh, One-up somebody argument, and be the winner and keeping yeah. tallies and scores. Right. That, that's not helpful or, or, you know, a way to grow a relationship. And or so build a team that. or build a reputation as being collegial and collaborative. Exactly. Exactly. So those those are some of the other lessons from difficult conversations. But as I said, although I, I give a seminar and try to make it relevant to our world of academia and faculty development, 
it really is very helpful in any type of interpersonal relationship, and, and I highly recommend um, that book, again, the first author being uh, Douglas Stone. Great. As usual, Dave, you are wonderful. Folks, you've been uh, learning and listening to uh, Dr. David Usum, our Associate Dean for Professional Development here at Johns Hopkins. He is the Vice Chairman of Program Development, the author of the Neuroradiology textbook, former Division Director of Neuroradiology. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.